And welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, we are back here for another show. Good to have you with us here at uh, five minutes after four. We got uh, almost a whole hour to impart some excellent employment law knowledge unto you. Our good pal Aliyah Varani representing uh, Sanfiru to Market LLP, of course, answering all the questions, doing the heavy lifting, and uh, providing. The service, again, this Sunday afternoon, here is the deal. You call through and ask your questions about employment law. It could be COVID-related. Maybe not. Maybe you've been temporarily laid off. Maybe it's a severance question. doesn't matter. Call for yourself. Call for a friend or a family member. Whenever you call and ask your question, you are helping dozens of other people, by the way, who might have the same question and didn't know where to go for the answer. That number, as you know, 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. You want to reach out through email. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. It's just that simple. So let's get into it. Aaliyah, thanks uh, so much for uh, for hanging with us again this afternoon. How are you? And uh, week that was, what do you got going on? <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. I hope you've been having a great weekend so far. Um, right. So yeah, it was a very interesting week that was. I have been, and I think everybody at my firm has been asked this question quite a bit. It's a very popular topic now that we're a little bit further into the pandemic and people are, you know, having different types of working arrangements, including a lot of people who are now working from home. And uh, that question is, about tracking devices and how you may be monitored when you are working away oh, from wow. the office. Um, right. Now that it's been going on for, you know, we're past a year already, um, it's kind of just one of the new realities that you may be asked about um, in order to continue your, your, your work, really. And I think the old version of this would be, you know, punching in and punching out so your employer mm-hmm. may know how much to pay you for when you start and when you end work. It's just really difficult to tell when that is now that we're all, sure. you know, maybe in your kitchen table, something like that. (laughs) So, you know, the short answer is, is are employers allowed to do this? They are within their rights to ensure, you know, that their employees are at work during working hours when they're being paid. Um, When we start talking about tracking devices, that's a little bit more interesting. Um, The problem is some of these apps, they can, well, they can track things that, uh, you know, maybe your location outside of work hours or your activity or what you're doing outside of the working um, day and that's that, that's you know the problem is when the data is collected that's not during work hours or not relating to the work that you're doing. Um, the other thing is is that I think that most people are concerned about this in a situation where your employer all of a sudden asks you to download this tracking information, these tracking apps now that you've already started and you, maybe you've worked from home and this is a new thing. That's really the situation right. that it would be most likely to come up in. But that's not going to be allowed. Um, it's really only certain circumstances where at the time you were offered this job, maybe for those who have received a job during the pandemic period, this would be something that they need to pay attention to or people who are looking for work in the context of the fact that people are working from home now. Um, If this is introduced as a term of your employment where your employer says, we'd love to have you on the team, but um, it's mostly a work from home scenario right now. And as part of this, we need you to, um, you know, check in with us or download this app that's gonna track your work during work hours that would be something that the employee is aware of that they've agreed to that can form a part of the terms of their employment. It's not going to be proper for employers who, you know, may now have a large part of their workforce working from home to say, okay, now we want you to download this tracking app on your personal computer. That's going to tell us information about what you're doing potentially on and off work during your private life. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's really an overreach there and that's not going to be proper. Um, I think that um, 
the other thing that I would mention about this is, um, you know, it's a huge difference between an employer providing something like a work cell phone that has this tracking information or a tracking app that that will allow them to tell when the employee is working or not working versus when they have something on their personal computer. And there's really going to be some privacy concerns, privacy legislation, um, employee rights that they have to be aware of and comply with if they introduce these types of circumstances in the correct way as part of, you know, this offer of employment. Um, and so really those are the only, those are the limits and the kind of the parameters that an employer has to do those types of things. It's not going to be allowed, say, for example, um, if your employer, you know, asks you to do this now and it's a complete surprise it's completely within you know an employee's rights to decline or refuse it's not misconduct in that scenario um to say that they don't want this understandably so you know tracking all of their personal information that's that's simply too much the number 604-280-9898 that is how you reach in and ask your questions this afternoon ron good uh, good afternoon thanks for uh, thanks for calling in good and uh, what's your question pal uh, well, I've got a couple. Uh, Leah, um, you've uh, spoken with me before. Uh, I called in uh, to the office, and you called me back, and uh, you, uh, basically what you told me was that anything I told you would go uh, on the Internet. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, uh, for the last 22 years, uh, I have worked for two companies. All right, as a subcontractor, as a gardener, um, I did have my own clients, some, not a lot, but some. Uh, my own truck, my own equipment, my own uh, address, everything else. Right? Um, uh, can you please just tell me yes or no? Am I currently? an employee or a contractor. Um, I work for now one company who actually does trade work for the previous company I I worked with um, on a minimal basis, but most of that work gets fed to me. All right. Um, But uh, I get a fax every single morning telling me where to go, in what order to do it. Um, I don't get a paycheck. I am not covered by WCB. I have no CPP deductions. So what the heck is going on here, girl? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, You know, that's very interesting, and I, I can see why you'd have this question. So the, the reason why is there's something that is that falls between... Um, a, the title of, say, employee and independent contractor. And that's called a dependent contractor. And the oh, and question, totally dependent. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what your situation sounds like. And so um, you may, for example, have uh, you know your own sole proprietorship that you work out of. You may deduct your own or do your own taxes and, the, and you don't have you know withholdings like you mentioned from the companies that you well, have. I, I won't from. mention that part. <laughs> well, let's just, I'll just say that that is, you know, that's not necessarily a determinative factor. So you don't need to, ne- you know, that doesn't mean that you don't have a dependent um, relationship with the companies that supply you work. Because really, like you said, the most important thing is going to be the level of control and the level of compensation that you receive from these companies. And so if they're yep. telling you where to go every day and they're telling you, you know, 
this is going to be your start time, your end time, this is what you have to do, and you don't really have an opportunity for profit or for loss. And the majority, I'd say if you have at least 90% of your income coming from these companies, then you're going to be found to be dependent on them for work. And so while you may not be classified as an employee that falls under, say, the Employment Standards Act, which is the minimum standards legislation for employees, it doesn't mean that you're not entitled to severance. So okay, uh, uh, Leah, can I can I break in here? Um, Absolutely. Uh, the uh, the first company uh, I had this relationship with um, is now uh, subcontracting his work to the second company, and is and that second company is giving all that work to me. So does that mean that uh, it's a continuing relationship with the first company? That's an amazing question. So what this would look like is common or so I would call this their common or associated employers. And what that means is that uh, maybe in the past you've received work from one or the other, but now it's they're both have that that employer relationship where one is kind of joined to the other and they both supply you through with work essentially is that one company's well, uh, contracting to I, another I got a and whole, they're hiring you. I, I got a whole stack of uh, invoices. Uh, which, by the way, uh, the, the first company supplied to me blank forms, which I filled out, which I faxed to him. And uh, yeah. and they're all filled out. And, uh, yeah, I, I think this could be really fun. Uh, it'll it'll <laughs> well, piss him off. His uh, 59th birthday is June 13th, and uh, I'd like to give him a birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think that what I would say is that in general, it's important that everybody ensures that they're aware of their obligations. And that includes employers who may not be familiar with this concept of a dependent contractor relationship. And a lot of them, it's funny because his brother, his one of his brothers was a lawyer that dealt with contract law. And um, he was all surprised as hell when he had some kid from Ecuador working for him. And uh, the uh, border services uh, said, uh, no, he can't work for you anymore. Right. And so he had to fire the guy. And the guy was awesome. He was great. And uh, uh, they came after me for taxes. And so I just kept paying like 40% of my wages. And uh, then Revenue Canada just said, oh, don't pay anymore. I went like, why? <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a very interesting and colorful working environment. I don't, uh, there's a lot that I think I can comment on here that I want to comment on, but I don't know if I may have time to go into all of those, you know, specific details right now. But, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe another time. Um, I, unfortunately, I think that's all I have time for, I think, to get into now. Yeah, welcome back. 418, a lovely afternoon for you to uh, get some knowledge about employment life. been wondering anything, you know how to do it. 604-280-9898. There is also a website, 
called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That is uh, a website you can go to absolutely free. It's anonymous. Tons of employment law information there as well. In fact, go there even before making a phone call to Aaliyah or a member of her team. And uh, you'll get lots of stuff there. You can answer some questions there. You can ask some questions. There's also the severance pay calculator rolled into pocketemploymentlawyer.ca so you can find out any time what your severance would be worth. If it comes down the pike that you end up letting go and looking at a severance package. But back to the phone, 604-280-9898 is uh, what you want to call. Now, the second thing you want to talk about, Leah, employer is the right to require employees working from home back to the office. This is already starting to rumble. There's already starting to to, to bubble under the surface (laughs) with people looking at, okay, maybe in the not-too-distant future, the major threat of COVID will be over, and the employer is going to say, "Okay, guys, it was uh, it was swell, but the swelling has gone down. It's time for you to get back into the office." What do you say about it? Yes, exactly. So this is kind of like the second part of this popular concerns around working from mm-hmm. home that I'm starting to hear now that the vaccine is being rolled out in you know stages, at least in BC. Um, a lot of young people have their um, timelines for vaccines coming up, and people are being optimistic about a return to normalcy um that you know this is the big question now right now we we just have this new public health order in bc that says that employers are recommended by dr bonnie henry to allow employees to work from home wherever possible but you know let's look at a situation where this public health order wasn't in place and people are able to return to work safely uh, without restrictions um well whatever what, what this means is that you know COVID needs to be looked at as kind of like a unique situation. And so whatever happens now with respect to allowing employees to work from home or or these types of modifications, if they were temporary, it doesn't necessarily continue. Um, And so what what that means is that employers can require you to go back to the pre-pandemic working environment. If that was traditionally in office or, you know, on location, then they can, as long as it's safe to do so, and it's, you know, you can be reasonably healthy and free from, you know, any sort of, um, you know, physical harm by doing that, then they can require you to go back to your um, pre-pandemic terms. I think what I'm seeing most often, though, is because employers have had to pivot and make these types of changes available, and it's been, you know, now, like I said, a year, not an insignificant period of time, um, a lot of uh, companies are now well-suited to make working from home a indefinite reality. And Mm -hmm. so, it's not a bad idea to have this type of conversation with employees if they really want to stay at home, um, even though they may not have that you know, right to, to insist on that because it was a temporary COVID measure. It, you know, it doesn't hurt if the employer has the ability to do this or accommodate this reasonably um, to have some sort of conversation where you can meet in a middle ground. And I think actually what, what I'm also seeing is that a lot of employers who have been able to pivot so that they can allow working from home is that they like these changes or that um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And so they're making these options available to their employees um, uh, if they choose to do so, as long as I know they haven't experienced any um, harmful effects like a reduction in productivity or, or anything else um, uh, as a result of uh, changing their policy to allow work from home. So under normal circumstances, you know, uh, COVID notwithstanding, if it was just a situation where someone had been working from home for a while and then the employer said, oh, it's time to come back to the office, that would be a different situation. That would be kind of a, uh, a baked-in term of the employment after a year. But this is a special circumstance, correct? Yeah, exactly. That's what we're looking at is circumstances, you know, where employers have had to um, 
let employees work from home wherever possible in order to follow mm -hmm. those directives under the public health orders because a right. lot of them um, will have language that suggests exactly this where people um, as a result of COVID or as a result of you know they usually are passed when we see increasing numbers and um, a need to curb that rise um, this yeah. is one of those recommendations that um, that kind of goes along with it is that uh, they allow the work from home but in the absence of that then uh, you know if there was a historic practice of the employee working from home that would certainly be a you know a different a different set of circumstances to consider perhaps it would be you know the employee would have a little bit more leverage there and saying well listen it's obviously been uh, you know it's been fine for the past year or however however long it's been um, and to um, you know have a frank conversation with their employer about why it can't continue I don't know if there's other, you know, it would really depend on the circumstances. I'm not sure, sure if we're talking about a situation where there's maybe, you know, a medical requirement or something like that. But absent all those other considerations, I think that that's a, a fabulous opportunity to have a conversation with your employer about, you know, continuing that um, that practice. You want to talk to Aliyah now for the remainder of the hour and ask your questions if something has piqued your interest, brought to mind. Uh, no problem. 604-280-9898. You still got lots of time to phone the radio station. And to ask Aaliyah whatever it is you need, help at employmentlawyer.ca in the meantime. And the topic, as mentioned for tonight, uh, the top myths of termination. Let's get into number one. Number one, your boss can only let you go if they have a good reason. How about that? I am so glad that we are talking about this, John, because this <laughs> is the number one conversation yep. that I have with people. And the reason why is because it just doesn't seem very fair and because of some of the things that employers do that I think does not help this situation. And that is sometimes they will terminate an employee and they'll let them know, they'll terminate them without cause, which means that there's no reason for their termination. And then they'll provide the employee with a reason that they've been terminated without cause. And it's much better for the employer simply not to say anything, not even say that it's due to COVID or a reorganization or for because of cost cutting measures or because just it's much better for the employer to stay silent on the reason why an employee has been terminated without cause because the natural human reaction is going to be that the employee looks into that reason and determines whether it's legitimate or not um, they may be coming off of one of the best quarterly performances that they've ever had they may have information about the company's finances and know that the company is not suffering because of covid maybe they've had they're one of those unique industries that you know benefited from some of the circumstances that covid created um you know there's there's various problems that come with a, an employer supplying a reason for a without cause dismissal unfortunately the law says that unless you're unionized in in bc um, your employer can end your employment at any time um, and they don't have to tell you why and they don't have to have a good reason um, they can't have a discriminatory reason. And mm -hmm. by that, I mean, they can't, you know, have, they can't say that the reason for your dismissal is because of one of the protected grounds under section 13 of the human rights code, which is, you know, covers those areas such as, you know, your gender, your sexuality, your political belief, your yeah. um, nationality. But as long as it's just, you know, they decide that they don't want to employ you any longer, they can let you go. And that's that but they do have to provide you severance. And that is what makes it a wrongful dismissal is whether or not your employer has compensated you fairly under your contract uh, or under the law essentially, so that you have the uh, appropriate amount of severance that you're owed. And so that's really the big determination when we start talking about whether your dismissal is wrongful or not. 
Yeah, you know, we kind of joke that uh, you know it's it's they're well within the rights that if you come to work and you're wearing a blue shirt, they don't like your blue shirt, providing they give you adequate severance, you know, under the common law, they can let you go for that reason, as bizarre and unlikely as that would be, it is not illegal. So it's it's kind of interesting, but a lot of people, like you said, don't realize that as long as it's not a discriminatory uh, reason uh, in that regard. Uh, we're talking about the top miss of termination. We'll slide another one in here before we uh, we take a quick break. When you were let go, you receive, oh, maybe one, two weeks severance pay for every year of service. That's tops. This is definitely the second most popular question uh-huh. that I get. Is yeah. I don't know what has been, um, where this information comes from, but I, I do speak to people who have, have, they're very certain. In fact, they'll tell me, well, I know that because I was employed for five years, I'm only going to get, you know, maybe tops 10 weeks, or I'm only going to get, you know, five months, or they have this calculation. um, And I'm not sure exactly how they've found this number, but one or two weeks is is also a very popular calculation that I will hear. And that's, um, it's not linear like that. It's actually how we determine the amount of severance is based on a set of factors. And, um, it's it's not as simple as looking at years of service and how long you've been employed and taking that as a basis alone. It's really, it's a little bit more complex than that. And some factors are more important than others. But the good news is, is that it takes into account, you know, your special situation. And welcome back. It is 433 Employment Law Show. Aliyah is uh, handling all your questions and phone calls this afternoon. You got one? We got open lines. Bring it on. 604-280-9898. The number email is help at employmentlawyer.ca as we uh, carry on here. The topic for the next few minutes anyway, top myths of termination. This stuff, Aliyah, you get phone calls and emails and questions all the time about these uh, particular topics and, and why they matter so much. Next one is this, and people think this as well. You have to work at least five years for a large company in order to receive any severance. Not true. <laughs> That's correct. It's not true. In fact, it's just, uh, you know, there's a good chance that if you're employed and you're working for somebody and you're earning money from them that you're owed severance in some amount. Um, it doesn't matter if this is a huge multinational company or if it's just work that you're doing for, you know, uh, three people that, you know, work in an office or work from home or something like that. As long as there's some sort of organization where you're receiving money from someone and uh, you're doing work in exchange for, you know, being paid. Um, there's no corresponding time limit for how long you need to be working for them in order to receive severance either. In fact, um, and I hope we get into this because it is one of the other myths that I would like to discuss is that, um, you know, sometimes working for a shorter period of time is going to entitle you to a little bit more severance. So it's not like there's a minimum period where you have to meet that threshold, uh, even probationary periods, which a lot of people think they need to pass before they are owed severance. That's not always the case. Um, It really comes down to whether or not there's a limit in a written contract that says that, you know, you won't be provided severance in Mm -hmm. the probationary period. Otherwise, you can be let go after, you know, two months of employment and you're still owed severance. And that severance could be substantial. It, It really is about looking at your specific factors and your specific circumstances. You know, whether you were brought in and asked to leave other, you know, long-term stable work, whether, you know, you're a little bit older or whether this is, you know, a niche industry, all of those things are going to be taken into account in determining um, your severance amount 
if it's not if you're not under say a limit um, that are more important than whether or not you've met this say arbitrary five-year um, length of time or whether the company is big or small um, those factors are, are simply not going to be important it doesn't really matter about you know the character of your employer other than how that relates to the type of employment you have um, in order to determine whether you're owed severance it's just a good chance that you are and that's all i would keep in mind if i had to remember a concept about that yeah it's, it's interesting we've had that conversation before where just you know just because you work for somewhere for three months rather than three years doesn't mean you you, you get no or little severance in fact it could be dis- disproportionately greater severance if you've only worked the three months because it, d- it doesn't necessarily mean you'll get a job any faster than someone who's worked four years rather than four months so I guess that's how the uh, the law has balanced it out. And as far as probation is concerned, because you threw it out there, that three-month probation term, is that not a creature of a contract, meaning that just because you start a new job, you're not automatically on probation for three months? People assume that, but does that not have to be written into a contract? You are amazing. I don't know why you're not an employment lawyer. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, I honestly couldn't have said it better myself. That is yeah, you're exactly right. It's It goes to the first issue that you pointed out, uh, which is it's really about how long it's going to take you to find work. And that's why we right. discuss these factors. And so with respect to short service employees, that's certainly relevant. Um, and then the other part about probation is you're completely correct. This is kind of like a concept that we have that we assume applies but that's why i always refer you know if you're limited in a contract or if it's written in a contract if it's not written out then you know there is no probationary period and if you're let go one you know two three weeks in it you are still required to be provided your fair and full entitlement of severance because there's no limit and there's no you know discussion of that probationary period and so the important thing that i think i would tell people to remember is that a lot of these rights that employers have, they need to write that out specifically. And a lot of rights that you have as an employee will be present just by operation of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it's not written explicitly, then um, don't assume that these limits apply. It's just important nice. to keep in mind. Again, uh, phone calls, if any of these have uh, brought some questions up to you, you want to ask, you still have some time. 604-280-9898 is the way. And email anytime during or after the show, of course, help at employmentlawyer.ca to reach Leah. We're talking about the top myths of termination. The next one, this is also a big one, and it is being, quote, unquote, on contract means you don't get severance pay. Exactly. So being on contract, I just want to very quickly discuss another kind of myth that goes along with this question of what a contract is and when it will be found. Um, So a contract can be implied or it can be written. And um, I think that a lot of people I speak to, because they didn't sign anything, they think they don't have an employment contract. But like I said, if you're working for someone and you're receiving compensation for that work, you're still under an employment contract. It's just not a written contract. But let's say you're an employee that does have a written contract and uh, maybe in that contract it says that you are going to be employed for, you know, a one-year period or a two-year period or even say, you know, a six-month period, um, and it's guaranteed work for that period of time. Now, when you're let go, if it's before that contract has been completed, um, and that's a term that you were hired under, is for the expectation of work for say up to you know whatever a period of time it says, maybe it's a year, then you are owed your severance in the amount of time 
that is left on that contract. And that could be more than the severance you would have received had the employer not said anything at all about the period of time that you um, were required to work because it really goes to, you know, this was written out and then the employer did not follow what they said that they would do in the contract. And so if they said that they would employ you for a year or for two years, then they have to put you in the position as if that contract had been completed because they were the ones that decided to break that agreement with you. And so um, it doesn't mean that you're not entitled to severance pay. It could actually mean that you're entitled to um, a very clear, determined amount of severance pay because it's written specifically in the contract. So basically, I mean, if it's if it's just that simple, if you if you start a job with a two year contract and you were let go six months in, they have to pay the balance of that contract the remaining year and a half because that's what was written, correct? Exactly. Um, nice. So if it hadn't been in a contract at all, we would just be trying to assess, you know, what's a reasonable amount of time that it would take you to find other work because gotcha. that's you know, that's how we get that determination of severance. If we don't have it written out, we have to kind of look at those factors that we've been discussing and try to get an assessment. Um, but if it's written specifically in the contract, then that's the amount that the employer has to pay you. And so it's a clear um, determination of what you're owed uh, when you're let Love go it. in those circumstances. Love it. Andrew, thanks for standing by for a moment. Uh, welcome to the show. You got a question? Yeah, thank you. I, I was just wondering what specifically is the um, severance that's required if somebody is let go with if they've been working for less than one year I thought that it was limited to one month as per the BC Employment Act is that not accurate? No, that's not. So that's that's exactly the type of scenarios that we're talking about. I'm really glad that you called in because this is exactly the type of question that I get when I speak to, you know, people that are consulting me for legal information. And, you know, let's just say the only circumstances that I think that you're trying to discuss is if if you were under, you know, like a validly drafted employment contract that's written out that limits you to what you referenced as the Employment Standards Act. That's our minimum standards legislation in the province. And it sets out that if you've been employed for longer than, you know, say three months periods of time, then you're going to be uh, receiving one week of severance if you're let go before, you know, that period passes. But, you know, if you're not under an employment contract and you're let go, say three months in, six months in, like you referenced, then you could be entitled to substantially more. It's a, it's a unique thing about BC in particular that short service employees get proportionally more severance. Um, it could be anywhere up to, you know, three years of employment or less, and even half a year of employment counts. That's a, you're still a short service employee. You could receive something like six months severance, nine months severance, simply because, you know, if you had to go out and look for new work and you have something on your resume, either a gap of time of three months or six months, or um, a six month period of time where you've worked for a previous employer listed, that may actually be harder for you to go out and find something new because maybe it raises questions about why you didn't last longer in the new position. You know, it's really gonna be a factor that goes to, does it make it easier or harder for you to find new comparable work? And um, what we find is that short service periods of employment um, actually make it harder, or at least how the law treats it, is they, they treat it as being a factor that makes it harder for you to find new work, which means that you get more severance in return. So I'm an employee now, and I used to be an employer, and I've read the 
termination part of the of the act probably over 20 times and i guess that's kind of new to me i've never really noticed that uh text or verbiage in in the legislation is it I guess I'm kind of left confused because it is, can you point me to where that is within the, uh, the BC Employment Act or is that kind of a perspective from uh, a legal expert and, and what is within the realm of possibility when a legal expert is, has been assigned to a case? No, no. So it's not, you know, you don't have to have, I mean, certainly it increases your chances of getting your full entitlement if you have an advocate who's, you know, well-versed in the rules doing that for you. It's just kind of like having or your vers- you know, a doctor versus your friend doing your surgery. Probably going to go better with somebody that's trained in those principles. But, you know, w- the section that you're referring to is, well, I can tell you the exact section. It's section 63. And what that says is up to one year of work, as long as you've been employed for at least three months, then you're entitled to a minimum amount of one week severance. And that's if you're let go without cause. But the thing about the Employment Standards Act that is most often misunderstood by employers and employees alike is that that is minimum standards legislation. It's comparable to receiving like a minimum wage. Just because we have rules about what minimums amounts need to be provided to employees doesn't mean that they're limited to those amounts. Mm. And so you only really get into a question of whether that amount is limited if you're under a contract that validly limits you to those amounts. A written contract that's very specifically worded to say that that's all you're going to receive and that's it. And if you're not under a contract or if you're under a contract that doesn't limit you properly because it's drafted poorly or because you didn't sign under the right scenarios, then you're not going to be limited to what we have listed in what you reference, which is the Employment Standards Act. That's just the rules about, you know, minimum rule, minimum rights, minimum obligations. It's not the full extent of what you're owed. It's not the full extent of what you could receive um, unless it's done in a very specific way. And a lot of the times, I'd say the majority of the times, it's not. And welcome back. It is uh, 4.48. Got a few minutes to go, so we want to get into these uh, phone calls, maybe bounce over to an email or two, but our uh, callers, listeners, you know, you're always top priority. Uh, Mark, thanks for standing by. Good afternoon. How are you? Okay. I'm just wondering if you're, when you retire, if you're entitled to any severance. Very good question. So it depends on the circumstances of how you've retired. Um, A lot of times, it may seem like it's a true retirement, um, but it's not. Whereas, you know, what I would say by that is you've been pressured to leave. You've been asked repeatedly when you're going to, you know, end your employment. That type of thing uh, is improper, and that's not really a voluntary retirement. And um, I would look very carefully at, you know, the circumstances of how their retirement was agreed upon in order to determine if that's the case. That raises issues of you know, potentially human rights discrimination against, you know, on the basis of age. And I think that that's always kind of in my mind, just from like a legal counsel perspective, when I get these types of questions about whether retirement really means you're not owed any severance. Um, If it's truly a voluntary resignation that you've made with a lot of, you know, thought and consideration with no pressure at all and not say in the heat of the moment, um, then if it's a true resignation, then that's fine. Uh, Traditionally, no severance is owed. 
But if there's any of those other elements, if it's just a passing comment and then the company decides to really jump on that and then send this letter where they say, we understand that you're retiring, please sign this and agree that you're not going to seek severance, that's actually very improper. Um, and so, you know, I'd say that depending on the circumstances of the retirement, it could go from being completely benign and maybe no severance is owed to potentially a lot of pressure, duress, and a potentially and also a discrimination claim on the basis of age. And so I want to be very careful that anybody coming to me with those types of issues, I really look into um, everything that was said or done and not simply focus on the fact that there's you know, a retirement. Does that make sense? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. If you need to uh, reach out and get any uh, further information from Adlia, you can do that. 604-283-3123. Just that simple. Kyle, thank you for standing by. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, sir. What's on your mind? I just was wondering if there's like a statute of limitations on the time from being let go or laid off until the time you can uh, apply for it. Like, if you don't get a severance when they let you go, can you still go back and get one or ask for one? That's a great question. So, um, yes, you can. You don't have to. I mean, it's generally speaking best to act as soon as you know that you have a claim. But a lot of times, like, that's the problem. We do this because employers, it doesn't benefit them to tell their employees that they have these types of claims, and it may take you some time to realize it. And so as long as you bring your claim, if it's, say, for just a severance issue alone, um, and I'll go into what I mean by that, um, then it's going to be two years from the date that, say, you were laid off or you were terminated or whatever issue that came from your employment um, means that you want to bring the claim. I, I'd yes. just keep that two-year, lim- it's called a limitation period, so you're exactly correct in what you were saying. Um, keep yeah. that in mind. If it is, you know, a, a, we've kind of been talking briefly about issues that relate to discrimination under the Human Rights Code. Um that is going to be one year from the date of the last discriminatory event. Um, and that could be your termination, or that could be things that were said in the context of employment that were discriminatory. And it sounds like a big, scary word, but honestly, it's it happens more often than you think. It could just be people treating you a little bit differently, giving you less um, advantages, benefits, access to uh, opportunity to earn income, that type of thing. And so that's why I say it's better to... Uh, you know, if you have any, you know, feeling that you may have something wrong going on to get some advice just to have somebody look through. But, um, you know, two years, that's going to be not only a limitation period for employment claims, but just legal claims in general. And so mm-hmm. really, really good question. I, I want people to know that and keep that in mind. Okay. And uh, what if, um, like, when I was hired and I asked about whether it was a part-time job or a full-time job, the um, person who was employing me told me it was forever. Can I take that as into um, like a, a verbal agreement? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's, I mean, with respect to having severance being awarded forever, I think you're going to have some problems <laughs> there. But, you know, every really? employment contract is actually an indefinite contract. And that's what, you know, that's yeah. what severance is supposed to capture is what's the period of time that it's going to take you to find something comparable because your employment is supposed to be uninterrupted. So that is, um, that is unfortunately a, um, a principle that underlies all employment contracts. And so it's not going to give you any specific advantage. But I do have a feeling that if you get a chance to talk to someone, and I'm more than happy to speak with, with you about this in a little bit more detail, that we can like yeah. flesh out exactly what factors in your employment will 
be relevant in determining your severance period. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. you're, you are right to look very carefully at the promises that were made to you when you were employed, because that, that certainly is important. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, good um, intuition. Well, how would I get in touch with you again? Going to give it to you. Uh, give it to you right now, Kyle. Very simple. The phone number, easy to get a hold of Aaliyah and her team, 604-283-3123, and simply help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address, help at employmentlawyer.ca. You know, he brings a good, about a good point, uh, you know, going after that two years to um, to go after his entitlements. I mean, the flip side of that is when you do get a severance offer and it says, you know, have this back to us by Friday at 5, that deadline is something else you can also ignore because it doesn't have to be Friday at 5. As we just explained, you have two years to exercise your rights, correct? Exactly. No, he had some amazing points to make. Honestly, his intuition yeah. is spot on. Um, that was really some, yeah, some fantastic uh, like I said, intuition on his part to just, mm-hmm. first of all, have an understanding that there's a limit, um, but not the limit that maybe people expect. And also that uh, you have to focus on, you know, what was what was really said about the employment. But, you know, with respect to what you're talking about releases, it's simply, it's simply something that you can ignore. Um, yeah. You know, you have much longer than you think that you do, although it's best to do it, you know, to get advice and to get information um, sooner rather than later, just simply so that you're informed about what your rights are from somebody who's acting as your advocate and not someone who maybe, you know, have a different type of interest than you. Um, it's just a good idea to, to, to keep informed in general, which is why that we why we do this. Um, but uh, but, you know, there isn't a limit of time that you need to get back just because the employer says so. In fact, you should be very um, suspicious about that limit because it probably doesn't benefit you and it, it probably right. is specifically so that you don't get more information. Great stuff again for another afternoon, Ali. Appreciate it. And thank you for all your phone calls and uh, queries as well. You want to reach out now that we're uh, pretty much done for this particular show. As I mentioned throughout the show, the same contact applies 604 283. 3123 would be the number. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And we always tell you to go pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That's a website for tons of employment law information, absolutely free and anonymous. You'll get the severance pay calculator there as well. And finally, the website employmentlawyer.ca links to our long-running TV show, the 30-minute version of this on TV as well. You can catch that uh, at a station and viewing pleasure for yourself anytime. We'll catch you next time. We're done for today. The Employment Law Show right here on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.